Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. Before we get into this, into this series tonight, may you allow me to say a prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for many blessings, but I thank you for the blessing of the questions that come because we are living in this world. Questions of pain, questions of purpose, questions of meaning of life. I know, as the song has already said, Jesus is the answer. Father, may this not just be an experience of sitting and listening to the words of a man. For we believe that the word of God is alive and we can experience it. We pray, Father, that in these few weeks we may experience you. We may have a closer relationship with you. This is our prayer. May you, may you do this for us because we cannot do it for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. They say something about the moon. The moon is an interesting thing. It is used in poems by lovers. They have some nice things to say about the moon. The moon sometimes is, for the painters, it's a good thing to paint in the background. Have you ever seen those good paintings of the moon? It's just a beautiful thing. It lights up the night. But a seaman with his salt will never use the moon to navigate the oceans. There's a reason why you would never use the moon to navigate the oceans. Can you guess? The moon is not stable. She changes her positions through the night. You cannot find your direction using the moon. But on the northern sky, there is a star called Polaris. We know it as the northern star. Those that used, before we had GPSs and all these sophisticated ways of navigating, they would look, they would get their north using the northern star, and they would pin it because it doesn't move throughout the night. It stays in one position, and the seaman would find his way home. As we start on this, on this program, on this seminar of questions of meaning, the question tonight is, what moral north, what stable north can we find from which we can plot our coordinates? One that cannot move, that cannot wave like, like the moon, that will stay constant. We are bombarded with a lot of information, especially in this age that we are living in. There are about 25 million posts every minute on Facebook. Every minute, 25 million posts that are going on Facebook. We are bombarded with a lot of information, some of which is not exactly reliable. Tonight, I want to present before us 
A case for the Bible is a reliable source of information. Because as we go on the quest, meaning of life, I would like to use the Bible and the Bible alone. But tonight, I want to share with you the reason why I'm using the Bible. Why we have to use the Bible to seek for the answers. As we do so, the source of information that we are looking for should be reliable, should have a historical accuracy, we should be able to experience it. And lastly, there should be a storyline that we can follow, a storyline of people's experiences as they existed through life. Then we can take that and match it with our own lives. Now, as I start on the Bible, the Bible has been laughed at. There, there's been skeptics and critics. There are many who have died for it. People that, have, that would rather lose their life than give up on the Bible. And you ask yourself questions like, why would they do that? So we have had, on one hand, people who doubted the Bible, skeptics, and even people who laughed at those who believe in the Bible. I don't know whether I'm the only one who has faced this. As I share the story of the Bible with people, I've met people who laugh at it and criticize it. But I've also met people who would rather die even in our ages. I speak to you, there is someone somewhere on, the con on some corner of this globe who is getting persecuted for believing in the Bible. They would rather die. They are faithful right to the end. They, they do not love their life to death because of the Bible. And talking about skeptics, there's one that comes to mind. I don't know whether you know a man called Voltaire. Voltaire is that man when we say such and such a, um, um, a light bulb is so many volts. It comes from this man, Voltaire. He was a knowledgeable man. He was a man who was full of signs and all that. This is what he said in a book called Hammers in the Fire, page 15. I am weary of hearing people repeat that 12 men established the Christian religion. Then he goes on further to say, I will prove that one man may suffice to overthrow the Christian religion. Voltaire was wrong. Let me tell you why Voltaire was wrong. On the very spot where he stood and made this, that declaration in France, in Paris, and that same spot right now stands a Bible depository. People are buying Bibles on that very same spot, hundreds of years later. When you're sworn into office as a president or a prime minister, people are sworn using the Bible. When you go to the court, sometimes you have to be under oath and you have to sway it on the Bible. The Bible has a claim such as no other book has. It claims that it is inspired by God. My friends, if this claim is true, then in our hands we have the words of God in our hands. In fact, it says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses 16, I've got the text 
on the screen. It says, all scripture is, is given by inspiration of God. You see, this book is different. People have written things, and nobody has ever written and said, I am not responsible for these words. Everyone wants to be responsible for what they've written. In fact, there are, there are, there are, there are legal cases that are out there for people who have taken from other people, from what other people have written. Yet here are people who are saying, I've written, but as I was writing, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible further claims not only to be to be written under the inspiration of, 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 of God, but it also says it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. In, in 2 Timothy, Peter chapter 1 and the verses 21, let me say that again. 2 Peter chapter 1 and the verses 21, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These claims, my friends, have to be investigated. And that's what we want to do this morning. Oh, this evening. That's what we want to do this evening. Can we investigate and find out whether this is true? Because if it is true, then we have to follow the words of this book. Maybe, just maybe, the questions of meaning that we are looking for, we might then have to depend on this book. So I invite you, come on a journey with me. For so many years... For so many years, until maybe the 1800s, the Bible stood on this claim and there was no other thing outside of the Bible to support the claims of the Bible. It could just have been any other claim. But in the 1800s, something happened. Are you ready for the journey? Napoleon in 1798. He took with him a lot of scholars, linguists, and scientists, and went into Egypt. During his Napoleonic Wars, he had swept through Egypt, and he had discovered that Egypt was an ancient land that was full of interesting things. So he took with him linguists, scientists, and a lot of other people um, that ranged up to about more than a thousand people that he went with. He marched into Egypt. He wanted to find out more about this land. Now, one of the things, one of the, the things that came out of that expedition was the discovery of that stone. How many of you have heard of that stone? It's called the Rosetta Stone. The interesting thing about the Rosetta Stone, enshrined at this moment as I speak to you, it's enshrined in the British National Museum in London. One, what is fascinating about this piece of, of, of history or of stone is that it has three, three different kinds of inscriptions on it written in three different languages. Number one, it is written in Greek. Number two, it is written in hieroglyphics. And number three, it's written in cursive Egyptian. It is the same message written in three different languages. This stone lie buried under the sand of, Egypt, of the Egyptian desert for many, for thousands of years. These people went there and dug it out. 
Now, for 20 years, nobody knew what was written in the Egyptian hieroglyphics. Well, they could read the Greek. But came a young man from France again 20 years later. He took this stone and started studying it. He looked at the Greek. He understood the language Greek and matched word for word with the Egyptian hieroglyphics and managed to read what was written on by the Egyptian script, the hieroglyphics. That was the beginning of the study of what we are studying today in some universities, even here in, in Australia, that is called Egyptology. Now, what was written on this, on this on that, that venture allowed people to be able to read the hieroglyphics and understand that there was a history that was a script that was telling a story, a story that paralleled the story that was written by Moses in the Old Testament. For the first time, we had a story written by someone else outside of the Bible. The claims of Moses were not just claims, but the claims of some of the claims of Moses were actually substantiated by the stories that were written that people could read in the walls of the Egyptian stories. So the Bible, through history, could be verified as fact. So my friends, the pillar number one is archaeology. Archaeology supports the Bible. People have been digging out those stories from the Bible, and they've been finding that's the truth. For example, the story of the Hebrews. In fact, tonight, let me present to you three pieces of evidence. I could have presented four. There are actually four, but the fourth one, I'm not qualified to present it. It is science. I'm not a man of science. I don't want to, I don't want to mess it up. But let me present three. Here are the three. Archaeology, history, and prophecy. But let me start with archaeology and history. I don't know whether you have heard of the Ebla, tab Ebla tablets. The Ebla tablets were dug up by an Italian archaeologist in 1974. His name was called Paolo Mattiai. As he read these Ebla tablets, he began to find out that there was a story from a long ancient story from this, from this place called Ebla. As he read this, these stories, he found the names of places like Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he, he began to find stories that paralleled the stories from the Bible. For example, the flood story. So the flood was not just a claim in the first five books written by Moses, but there were other parallel stories from other, from other traditions that paralleled the story of the Bible. This had nothing to do with the Bible. This had nothing to do with the God of the Bible. These were stories of, the, of what people had experienced. And people said, wow, it means, therefore, that that which the Bible has claimed for thousands of years that people have doubted and said, no, these are fairy tales. Here are parallel stories. Let me, let me just share with you one more, one more piece of evidence. One more piece of evidence. And then, was the Bible altered? What if what we have right now in our hands 
is some work of someone in the Middle Ages. Okay. Could that be true? Just a few days ago, I stood in a museum in Washington, D.C., and I had the privilege of standing pastor before the entire script of Isaiah that was found by someone at the Dead Sea Scrolls. Let me tell you the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Not until 1957 did we have earlier manuscripts of the Bible as early as second century BC. Let me tell you this story. What we have had over the thousands of years was a manuscript of the Bible from the fourth century, fifth century. Now the argument of some skeptics has been, what if from the first century to the second century to the third century, because there was a lot of um, playing around with the material, what if what we have in our hands is a result of someone playing with this, with this word? Can we trust this Bible that we have in our hands? And that argument could not, could not be answered to until 1957. A young boy heading goats around the Dead Sea. They played a game. I've played this game as a young boy. I grew up heading goats and cattle. You look for a hole in, on, on, on some cave or on a rock. Then you, you play uh, targets with, with small pieces of rock and use either a caterpillar or you can just throw. And as boys, we would play that kind of game to see how many stones can hit the target. This boy was playing that kind of a game. He was trying to throw his stone through a hole in a cave on the walls of the Dead, of, of the dead Sea, as you can see on the picture there. As he was doing that, one of his stones went through the holes that he was targeting it, and he felt as the, as, the, as the stone went through, he could hear that someone, something like um, a clay jar, the noise that came from it, it was as if something like a clay, a clay jar had broken. He went to investigate. The long story short, the young man had discovered some scrolls. Let me tell you a little bit more of this story. Now, there is a period, the last book of the Old Testament is written around 400 before Christ. From that time to the time of Christ, there's a period of 400 years where there's no writing of the Bible and the prophets are a little bit uh, not working properly because the children of Israel have rebelled against God. But there is a group of believers of Yahweh who have left the main community around Jerusalem and other places and they've gone to live in this place called the Qumran. They are called the Qumran community. These people had the scriptures with them. And they would have hidden around 200 before Christ. They would have hidden these books, these scrolls in clay jars. And pastor, I had the privilege of seeing some of the clay jars. You know what happened with my heart as I was looking at these clay jars? Um, some of them are still sealed because they found all the books of the Old Testament from 200 BC except for the book of Ezra and especially the book of Daniel and the book of Isaiah, they found the, the entire book intact without 
And as they compared the Bible that we have in our hand and they compared with those old manuscripts, they discovered that it is accurate word for word. What we have in our hands has never been tempered with. God has protected his word and has been passed down to us. Let me tell you, my friends, we get into, into a lot of trouble. I know that because I did that as a young man. We be, as we begin to walk, if we begin to walk away from the Bible, then problems start. The questions of meaning have no answer, save only as we stand on this book. Isaiah was found as one document. So the Bible is accurate. Another question that we could ask, who built Babylon? The Bible, for many years, had been making the claim that the Babylon was built by a man called Nebuchadnezzar. But the history, as we heard it from um, other historians, they were talking of other people that had built the, the city of Babylon. So they said, the claims of the Bible are not accurate. Not until they started unearthing, a few years ago, as they started unearthing building blocks. The building blocks, these kiln-backed bricks, they had this, this um, stamp on them. And you can find them on the British National Museum. They have a stamp on each one of the bricks. And this is what the bricks say. The bricks all bear a stamp of King Nebuchadnezzar. Each one of the bricks has a stamp on it. Every one of the, of the bricks built by Nebuchadnezzar. As if the person who was baking the bricks or was making the bricks knew something about Daniel chapter 4 and the verses 30. It says, is this, is not this great Babylon that I've built? This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. So the words of, Bab of, of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 and the verses 30 and, and, this, and, and, and these bricks, they are telling a story that the biblical record is accurate. That argument fell off the table. As we discover more and more evidence, they've been playing around these days, there was no historical record until two years ago of, I don't have that, that, that on, my, on my presentation, it's just coming to my mind right now. There was no historical record that there ever was a man called King David, except of the record of the Bible. But recently, they've started finding out from um, other sources as they are digging out. Let me share with you one more piece of evidence before I get to where I want to get tonight. This is yet another piece of evidence that they've dug up from somewhere in northern, in northern Iraq. It's called Cyrus Cylinder. Cyrus Cylinder is enshrined again in the, nation, in the British National Museum even as I speak to you. Let me show with you the inscription that is on the side, the, the, on the side of this cylinder. Here it is. I don't know whether you can be able to see. What does the cylinder, so that is a picture, that is a direct picture that I took on my phone that is, stand, that is on the side of the cylinder. It says, I am Cyrus, king of the world, 
great king, legitimate king, king of Babylon, king of Sumer, king of Akkad, king of the four realms of the earth, son of Cambyses, great king, king of Anshan, descendant, descendant of Tespis, great king, and all those things. This cylinder is one of the most famous historical documents, nothing to do with the Bible, one of the most famous historical documents of, of the Achaemenid Empire. It was written by a Babylonian scribe, not by a man inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is a, a parallel record from the Bible, um, scribed in cuneiform script in the sixth century BC. The cylinder records Cyrus' peaceful capture of Babylon. You know what? We have the story of Cyrus capturing Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. That can be verified from a parallel historical record. This, this is not a fairy tale, my friends, tonight. This is an authentic book that can be trusted. But let me show you something that fascinated me about this, about, about this historical record, the, the, the Cyrus Cylinder. Here is what fascinated me. It says how he rebuilt the main temple of the city god Medoc. Cyrus claimed that he had restored temples on that Cyrus cylinder. It says he claims to have restored temples and cults in neighboring cities and retained their deported people and gods. He strengthened Babylon's fortifications. Let me put it, let me put it in today's terms. Cyrus, on this cuneiform, on that cylinder, he is claiming through this this record keeper, that I have gone into the other lands that I've captured and I've restored different kinds of worship systems, whatever worship system that that tribe or that kind of people, that nation would have worshipped. I've restored their worship and I've rebuilt their temples that had been plundered by Babylon, the kingdom just before him. Oh, I get excited when I hear this because I've read somewhere in Ezra Chapter 1 and the verses 1 to 2. This is what the Bible says. Hey, do you have this in mind? Have this in mind. This is not the Bible. This is a man who is not inspired, who's just writing history. In his writing of history, he says, Cyrus restored temples of the nations that he conquered. Are you with me? Now, Ezra... The inspired record, he says, Jeremiah, the, oh, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. This is where I get excited, and I don't know why you're not excited. Because there is a parallel record that is not from the Bible that is confirming that what the Bible is saying in the book of Ezra, of Ezra is accurate and correct. We can trust this book tonight. This book is the book of God. It is what it claims to be, inspired by God. Let me share with you in the last, in the last 10 minutes one of the reasons that really blew my mind away as I, a few years ago, as a young man looking for answers, when I understood this claim of the Bible and I saw that it was accurate, I then began to find 
answers to the meaning of life from the Bible. 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Don't worry, we're not going to take the longer route on this dream. We're going to take the shorter route. I'm just coming from America, so I say route. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar has a dream around 600 BC. And this dream troubles him. In fact, Daniel chapter 2, if you want to follow on Daniel chapter 2, if we get home, uh, it's on page 856, but I'm summarizing it for you. He says, the king was greatly troubled. He called his wise men, magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to the royal palace. You see, these people that rule this world are also riddled by questions of meaning, and they try to seek for answers from different kinds of places. As I stand before you tonight, I hail from a little country in the southern part of, of Africa called Zimbabwe. It was ruled by an iron fist rule, a man called Robert Mugabe. He possibly believed that he would live forever. He surrounded himself with what he called wise men, astrologers, and sorcerers. As I speak to you, just this morning he passed away. I wonder whether he had found the meaning of life. Him, like Nebuchadnezzar, surrounded himself with all these people, seeking, if you go on Sunday, to many of our flea markets here in Sydney, you will find people going to these Cristobal readers and palm readers. You know what they're seeking for? They're seeking for answers. They're seeking for the meaning of life. Just like what Nebuchadnezzar did. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was wise. In any case, he has forgotten his dream. I don't know if you are like me. Sometimes I dream and I forget my dream. Am I the only one here? So his trick is, if you want me, if you can tell me the meaning of my dream, you should be able to tell me the dream without me telling you the dream. But as you know, nobody can do that. He said to them, in Daniel chapter 2 verse 3, he said to them, what I dreamt last night, I want you to tell me what I dreamt last night and tell me the meaning, its significance. What year was this? 600, around 600 BC, 600 years before Christ. But Daniel replied, as others had already failed, he re replied and said, there are no wise men. Please understand this. As we, as we seek for the meaning of life, there are no wise men in this world. There are no enchanters, there are no magicians, there are no fortune tellers, there are no scientists who can reveal the meaning of life. That's why the king wanted to kill them. But Daniel did one thing, that I dare challenge anyone who does not believe in God to do. Listen, this is what Daniel did. Daniel and his friends prayed. My friends, prayer is one tool, one method, one avenue in seeking for the meaning of life. Let me tell you why I say that. 
Because it is a conduit, it is a connection between man and God. That we, so if you do not pray, you may never experience God. So I challenge you, even if you believe that there is no God, I challenge you, kneel down one day and say to him, if you are really there, you have nothing to lose anyway. Challenge him and say, if you are there, that's what prayer is. If you are really there, up there, somewhere, talk to me and reveal yourself to me. No, no, you won't be a religious nut. Then leave it to him to respond to that question. If you are really there, this is what Daniel did with his friends. They knelt together, God himself, then revealed the meaning of the dream to Daniel. That's the only way you can experience God. As I was seeking for this meaning, for this meaning of life, one thing I did, having been challenged by my mother, she said, pray and see what happens. I then began to experience God. Signs cannot make you experience God. The knowledgeable people of this world cannot make you to experience God. But there's something about prayer that just opens a new world. It is real. I cannot explain it to you. It's like the test of an apple. Oh, you don't know what I mean, right? Have you ever had a person chew an apple and you be able to tell how it tastes? If you want to know how it tastes, chew it yourself. I cannot experience God for you as much as I may want it. So test him yourself. Talk to him. If he is not there, you have nothing to lose. It's just a matter of a few minutes anyway. So Daniel replied after the prayer, there are no wise men that can tell you this thing. Verse 29, but there's a God in heaven. Wow, Daniel, you're making a big claim. Yes, there's a God in heaven, king, and he wants you to experience him. He wants to give you the answers to your questions. Now, I'll tell you your dream and the visions that you saw as you lay on your bed. Because in prayer, God had revealed to Daniel the dream. Verse 29 says, But there's a God in heaven who reveals the secrets and he has shown the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the future. I've highlighted the word future. Let me tell you why. My friends... If there's anything that depresses and, and worries us in this world is for us to know about our future, our, about our tomorrow. One musician even says, I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know what the future holds. But let me tell you something. Even I myself, as I stand before you, I don't know what tomorrow holds. But let me tell you where I find my peace. I know who holds tomorrow. Nebuchadnezzar, you're worried about the future. Let me tell you, there is somebody who has already been in the future. He knows the end before the beginning. You're worried about how you're going to pay your bills. You're worried about your health. You're worried about all that. There is someone who holds your tomorrow already. Nebuchadnezzar did not know this. You, O king, he begins to tell him, Behold a great image. This image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. But king... This was not about that image. It's about the future. 
This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. As you can see it right there, that's the image that you saw, King. Can you see it? Head of gold, silver, bronze, and legs of iron. You cannot see the feet, but they are partly of clay and partly of iron. Let's, let's bring this to an end. You watched while a stone was cut out without, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summers of threshing floors. Then the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was ever found. This must have troubled the king Nebuchadnezzar. And that stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel was showing the king the empires to come after him. King, you are mortal. You are only a human being. One day you are going to die. And some other people are going to come and rule the world after you. That's the future. So Daniel showed the king a succession of four world empires or superpowers from his own day to, to the end of time, even to our day. As I discovered this, my friends, my confidence in the Bible was solidified. Let me just share with you. You, king, are the head of God, or your kingdom, Babylon, you are the head of God. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Oh, the, the silent cylinder tells us. Let me just show you on the silent cylinder. It says, the, silent, the cylinder records Cyrus peacefully capturing Babylon. So Cyrus is the one who brought his, what, what did the Bible say? The Bible says, another shall arise and take over your kingdom. He'll be a little smaller in his splendor to you, but he will, however, take over. And here is parallel record from history. Did I say we are going to substand on three pillars? First pillar is archaeology, second pillar is history, and the third pillar is prophecy, and that's what we are studying right now. And here, somebody said to me, prophecy is history foretold, and history is prophecy fulfilled. They work hand in hand. So, then another third kingdom of bronze which shall take over. Now we know that Cyrus brought in the Persian Empire, or what we normally know in history as the Meds and the Persians together, the Middle Persian Empire. Cyrus ushered that in, taking over from the Babylonian Empire. But another third kingdom shall take over from, uh, from the Middle Persians, and the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 8, verse 20, which that uh, kingdom would be. It says, the realm which you saw and having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia, that's Cyrus, and the male god is the kingdom of Greece. So Greece would take over from who? From the Middle Persians. Does history prove that to be true? Of course we know that is true. We know about Alexander the Great, who took over from the Persian, from the Persian Empire. We even know that battle that happened in 334 BC is recorded in history. And we have all these pictures that show, these, these uh, artifacts that show that battle that happened 
where Alexander the Great took over from the, um, the, Medo the Medo Persian Empire. Then Daniel continues to tell Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40. He says, finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. Let me put it in one slide so that you can see it. We see that from 605, around 600 BC, Babylon is the gold. And the Middle Persians come around 538. The Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, comes in around 331 BC. You see that the future is being revealed before, before the king. The, the prophecy is being fulfilled. And Rome comes in around um, 160 BC, but from that time to 1798. We know that the Roman Empire began to win around the 5th century, but it continued as religious Rome until 1798. Uh, we are in 1798. This prophecy of Daniel is shooting through time. Even speaking to our time, let me just show you our time. Whereas you saw the feet of and toes, partly of porous clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. This is the kingdom that comes after 1798. There are so many people that say so many things about this, this kingdom of the feet. But let me just share with you my heart. I think it is this. Divided United Nations. Strong kings and weak kings. This is the time that we are living in. From 1798 going back, we have been living under very strong empires. While you might want to talk about the American empire, but it's not exactly an empire. We have kings in different places that are ruling different places. Some are strong, some are weak. Daniel's vision or Nebuchadnezzar's vision has been proven to be right as we speak. We are living in the days of the kings of the feet. As you saw iron, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere one to another just as iron does not mix with clay. You know, a war broke out. It was called World War I. After World War I, they came up with what was called the League of Nations. The League of Nations was supposed to bring the world or the nations together. But a few years later, what did we have? World War II. Some nations, the League of Nations could not keep the peace. The kings of the feet, partly clay, partly iron could not cleave one to another. So they said, no, the reason why the League of Nations could not keep us together is because the United States of America was not part of it. Let's now come up with a new thing called United Nations. So they came up with United Nations. My friends, the prophet says they will not hold together. United States of America was part of it. You and I know that it is United States of America that defied you, the Security Council and said, even without the Security Council, we're going to attack Iraq. We're going to attack Muammar Gaddafi. We don't care. If you don't stand with us, then you're against us. 
We are trying to cleave one to another. Even in European Union, now they are talking about Brexit. We cannot cleave one to another. The prophecies of Daniel are proving the Bible to be accurate. But as you watched, while the stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces, I believe, my friends, this is the only piece of this, of this prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. It is in the days of those kings that God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. My friends, the next thing to happen, and you better believe it, it is the establishment of a kingdom of God that shall never be destroyed. In that kingdom, it will bring with it all the answers that we are looking for. I don't know about you. I want to be in that kingdom. You know, that kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these other kingdoms. It shall stand forever. The rock represents Christ's final empire. See, the promise is the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Don't you want to be part of this kingdom? In summary, this is what we have seen. That, that prophecy has taken us from Babylon right through to our current order. Therefore, my friends, these three pillars prove that this word is true. Archaeology, history, and prophecy. This book is a source of information that is reliable. Got historical accuracy. We can experience it because Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and we ourselves are experiencing what this book has prophesied. The storyline can be confirmed. It's not once upon a time. That's a fairy tale. That's how fairy tales start. But this is a historical record. May I say to you in closing, Psalm chapter 119 verse 160 says, the entirety of your word is truth. It is truth. My friends, the reason why I presented this tonight is because I intend for the next few weeks until the 28th of September, even into October, to share with you the meaning of life from between these pages. Questions of meaning. Why are we here? What's my purpose? Who am I? Where do I come from? All those questions. This book has answers to them. May God bless you tonight. And uh, hoping to see you tomorrow. Please find someone that you can bring. This is going to get more and more interesting. As I said, if you had time, you could just indulge me for the whole night. And I'll speak once. By the time we get to the morning, I'll be done, and then we don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> but because we can't do that, this is as much as we can share for tonight. May God bless you abundantly, and come tomorrow morning prepared to hear one more. And tomorrow morning, the question we want to answer is, there's so much pain in this world. 
There's so much evil in this world. I've seen the images that are coming from South Africa. Even as we speak to you, there are people that are getting set ablaze alive. Why is there so much evil? There is a young lady who was abducted. They've just found her dead. She was raped and killed just in this week. And her friend asked on Facebook, where was God when this was happening? Tomorrow we attempt, and I say attempt humbly, to find answers to those questions in the morning. So may God bless you. May I pray with you? Father, tonight as we start on this journey to ask the questions of meaning, of the existential questions that we have, why is there so much pain? We thank you for your love letter that is your word, through which you want to give us the answers, not just to give us intellectual answers, but through which you want us to experience peace and love and joy. Father, I pray that you can make all of us understand that you love us so much that you have left the answers to our questions in your word, that we can have hope in this word. So I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit might interpret all that has been said tonight and put it in ways that we can understand. This is my prayer as you bless the people that are here. Some have come with questions that are not yet answered. I pray that you give us time to actually get to those questions. Be with us, keep us safe as we go home until we can come back tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. around the world. I am on site at Center for Health in Bulgaria and with me is Arthur Cavaglio. Welcome Arthur to the program. Thank you. Now Arthur, you're here at Center for Health and I believe you're in the training school here, is that correct? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I am here in the school. I got here to receive some healthy training mm -hmm. and also some Bible studies. You're doing some Bible training as well as, yeah. as health training together yeah, in the yes, same place. Together. Interesting. Where are you from originally? I'm from Brazil. All the way from Brazil? Yes. So how did you find out about the school here? Because I'm living in Tunisia, you know, I'm taking part of a project from the, that's connected with the, one of the leaders here. And they do some training so we can, whatever you're doing in these countries, you know, around the world, we can serve people better. We can help people to find a better way of living, like a better health way of living. And uh, also for myself, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying too much here. I'm getting healthier here, actually. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, I have a, a little problem on my knees, you know, and I need to lose weight because of that. And since I got here, I, I think I, I lost some pounds. 
Ah, okay, so you've noticed a difference. What kind of things are you learning about here that's helping you? We are learning about um, like uh, the benefits of living the nature, you know, like uh -huh. the coastal trees and fresh air, yes. like uh, having a balanced diet, uh, not overeating, like eating what is sufficient for your body, mm -hmm. exercising, you know, the eight natural remedies of life. We're learning also the benefits of charcoal. Oh. Yeah, how we can use charcoal for medicine, so preventive medicine. Yes. All good stuff, garlic, you know, all these herbs that we have in nature. So how can we use them? Mm -hmm. And uh, to prevent a lot of diseases, actually, with charcoal we can do many, many things. We can use externally and internally and it helps, like, even your kidneys. I, I didn't know about that. Like, if you put externally, it, it can... It can extract is the carb car the, the charcoal is so strong that it can extract some toxins even from outside when you use your skin to to take the toxins of your kidney yeah. like wonder stuff, wonderful stuff like that we are learning and mm. uh, we have healthy food here also it's all vegan and they know how to cook really delicious food <laughs> oh you're finding it tasty yes it's really delicious and uh, like it's, it's you don't find any lack of any supplements like any protein anything uh -huh. like all uh -huh. vitamins all balanced and that's of course because the food's so good sometimes i'm tempted to eat too much okay. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm getting better here i'm losing weight as i told you mm. and, um, yeah i think this is if you want to if you want to get a good health, I think this is place, this place is a good place. Yeah, okay. So tell me, is it different how you're eating here? Is that different to how you were eating back in Brazil? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, normally in my house, um, like for example, we use a lot of oil, like for, we fry a lot of things, you know? Yes. And it's not healthy. Maybe we use a little bit too much spices. The bread, the bread here is amazing. It's like, I don't know how do they do it, but they use a... They don't use like biological liver. A uh, yeast. Yeah, yeast. Sorry. So what you mean, leaven? Yes. Leaven. Yeast. Yeah, leaven. They don't use yeast. Uh, I don't know how they do, but it's uh, it's whole wheat bread, uh -huh. and they use this uh, natural. Is it like yeast. a culture that they use? Like I I don't know, but it's not biological. It's like oh. from the from the from the fruits. Oh. I don't know how they do. Okay, but obviously you're enjoying it. So. Yeah, it's so good. So in, in we are we have to learn actually gonna learn this and how to cook the bread and everything so we can do at home also. But at home we don't do that, you know? Oh. And uh, yeah, like it's it's really helpful when you learn to to bake a good bread. Mm hmm Wow, so you're learning such a large variety of practical things that are helpful yes. in your home. Mm -hmm. So can you share maybe is there a health principle that you've adopted that's one of your favorites that you really enjoy? Well, the health principle I like is like the principle that everything's together connected. Like um, when you like your brain is connected with your organs, so everything that you eat affects your your brain. So it will affect eventually your studies, your religion. Yes. You know, like the way you connect. So like I believe in God. I pray. Mm. And, and when I when I take care of my health, it's better. So, and my my brain works faster. So I mm. feel more connection with God, and uh, I can study and learn better. When you sleep well, also, you know, when you sometimes you don't sleep well, you eat too much, your brain gets a bit tired. So you yes. get headache a bit. So you mm -hmm. cannot concentrate mm -hmm. for for many things. And especially when you pray, you like you you get distracted so much and. Yes, and that's another principle. So it's holistic 
way of living. So you connect everything. You connect your your food with your with your study, spiritual and and physical. Right. So all, all those different elements are all yes, interconnected. Yes. You, yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting. You were mentioning that you finding it's having benefits for your spiritual life. Yes, for sure. You've noticed that while you've been here. Yes, for mm. sure. Yeah, I can. I woke up more like uh, with more energy. Yes. So I can I can wake up and pray and talk with God and not that sleepy, you yes, know. Yes. 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 And then when I read my Bible, mm -hmm. I can concentrate more. And when I walk also through the trees here, that this beautiful environment, you can also feel, you can hear the voice of God more clearly. You know, that's not so much mm. noisy. Mm. So you can mm -hmm. you can see the beauty of the. The creation of God and mm. how the law of God is in everything and how he gave us such a blessing with herbs and trees that things that heal us is good for our health. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's, you, you've gotten so many, so many good benefits from all of this experience. Now tell me if you're going to say you meet someone who is talking about their lifestyle and, and they're thinking that they want to improve it. Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways, what would you what would you say to them? How how would you recommend they go about starting to improve their lifestyle? Well, I mean, I think it depends. I would try to know the person better and know what their needs. But if we need to summarize in a short sentence, I would say that maybe preventing stuff like uh, take care of the things you eat mm -hmm. for sure, mm -hmm. because you are what you eat, mm. and try to live closer to the nature i would say okay the environment is really important so the the things we have in big cities today is it's not so so good for your health in many ways mm -hmm. yeah. so, so go to a place where they can spend more time in a natural environment yes. surroundings and that will be yeah. a if benefit course, to them yes yes of course take care of the, of the food yes because yeah. we will affect in every other aspect of your life Yes. Yeah, it has a powerful influence, doesn't it? Wow, well, thank you so much for sharing your experience You're with welcome. us here. Pleasure. It's, um, it's always inspiring to hear how people have benefited from the wonderful healthy living principles, which as you explained so well, God has given us out of his love for us. Yes. So that's, um, that's really inspiring to hear. Our guest today has been Arthur Carvalho, and uh, he is here at the Center for Health Training School here in Bulgaria. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Living Around the World. I am your host, Casey Butler, and until next time, God bless. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.